At least I didn't have Amanda Nunez's money line because that girl was not going five rounds. I can tell you that much. <laughs> no, fact. You people know what? Are, I've been people, wanting people... to fade her for so long. And I just, why? Not, Pena wasn't the girl to do it with, right? I didn't. Wow. I really, I really got uh, blindsided, hoodwinked. I mean, everything, everything looked bad. Everything was bad. I was so blindsided. I thought she looked great at the weigh-ins. Everything seemed to be coming up shag. And now, the deal's a deal. I told the people the laser-guided heat-seeking missile didn't hit. Here I am. So, we got two on the go. Paul getting down to business here. That's one. Because water's for the week, Cody. Water is for the week. Paul Paul legit looks homeless right now. He's got like a Rocky Balboa beard going. He's wearing a toque, <laughs> a plain black shirt, and he just pounded two beers, probably Pilsners, out of uh, a couple dirty boots. That's my boy Paul Shag right there. Unfortunately, I'd like to sit here and laugh at him. I got a big, uh, little bit of housekeeping of my own. Uh, lesson learned. Two lessons learned, actually. One, why would I go against Tai Tuivasa? We love Tai Tuivasa. Big power puncher. Very fan-friendly. I didn't go against On the other Tai hand, the lesson I learned. Awesome. No, I know. That's why I got to bet. Bet's a bet, and win's a win. But uh, Augusto Sakai, what a bum. What an absolute bum that Straight guy up. is. And that's the last Big time time. I'll ever bet on him. So, two lessons learned. Tie. Tie going to tie. It's a guy gonna suck guy. Here we go. Attaboy, Cody. Men of our word. Well, I might as well keep drinking here. No, I have to Ooh. drink every single one out of a boot. A little foam left. You, you struggling there, kid? No. I I had to pour it on the head and there was a little bit of foam, so. Ah. Uh. It was good to be rock and rocking, Paul. You know, we got a month Last off. Last week. Yeah, we got a month Amanda off after Nunez this. Loses. Nice little reset. Who knows anything anymore, Paul? Who, Who knows, knows anything? anything anymore? I, I'll tell you one thing I've learned. Not, I'm not getting invested in women's MMA chalk. That's just <laughs> rule number one at this point. Not doing it. Can't do it. Won't do it. Is what it is. I mean, and for the people asking about if the kids are going to get Christmas presents... Yes, and I already bought the Christmas <laughs> presents this week. It's just it came out of my pocket, not the bookie's pocket. And the plan was my entire trip home was going to be paid compliments of the bookie. It's my ass that's paying for all that shit. I mean, I could not give the kids gifts. That's, I mean, and that's the thing about it, too, is like I lost a lot of money on it. A big, big loss. Big fat L. But you never let one bet completely ruined you like it's not good it didn't ruin me financially it's not you know there's there's got to be more bullets in the chamber and there's going to be more bullets in the chamber i don't know how many bullets are in the chamber this week why don't we do a little quick reset and uh you know break down these fights as we always do 
Welcome to another edition of the Dogger Pass Podcast. This is for UFC Vegas 45. I'm Paul Shaughnessy. Cody Saftik, obviously, here in tow. Um, yeah, we talked about Amanda what's Nunez up, breaking my goddamn heart. Tied to Ivasa, breaking your goddamn heart. He made me feel pretty good about it. I, I, I should have bet him because... Uh, I mean, besides, yeah, Oliveira was the only bet that I ended up cashing on Saturday. Bad night. Bad night at the office. But let's get back on track here. Main event of UFC Vegas 45, we have Chris Dawkins as a minus 140 favor. He takes on Derek Lewis. Who you got here, Code? Okay, so obviously we like what we've seen out of Dawkins since he's jumped to the UFC. I mean... My God, the guy's got really fast hands, very mobile for a heavyweight, BJJ black belt. His brother's okay. He's like the upgraded version. And and again, being that fast at heavyweight, but still carrying big power, been looking good. Here's the one issue. What's his cardio like? Because you see back his last loss to Azuna Aniyahu on CFFC 73. Fight goes into the second round. He noticeably fatigues. He gets TKO'd. Since then, first round knockout over Danny Holmes. Mm-hmm. Debuts in the UFC. First round knockout of Porker Parter. Beats Nascimento, first-round knockout. Alexei Olenek, first-round knockout. Shamil Abdurakhimov's last time out. Minute 23 of round two. So you see him extending at least six and a half minutes, and he looked good, Paul. Man, I don't know. Is it enough? Is it enough? I think it's enough. I think this guy's cardio's okay. It's uh, probably improved since his last loss. Uh, he's fast. He's mobile. And that's all the things that you're going to need to beat Derek Lewis. Lewis is just a career overachiever. He's a fan favorite. Everyone loves the guy's personality. Everyone loves seeing the big KOs. But you can't overlook the fact that all of his career wins are come from behind victories. If I said he's losing, uh, and there's just countless, countless examples, right? Um, the, I guess Alexander Volkov fight, the Travis Brown fight, the Shamil Abdurakhimov fight, the Victor Pesta fight. All of these fights he's made come from behind victories. But there's a ton of losses between that, right? Uh, his ground game in the Ilir Latifi fight, taking on a natural 205er who took him down and held him down. Didn't look good. Squeaked by a win there. This Curtis Blades fight, he's got that big power. If you're a chinny guy, he can catch you. He's always going to have that. But he routinely gets beat to the punch. He's 36 years old now. He's getting older. He's taking some damage. I, I don't know. That Cyril Gaon fight was a huge a huge eye-opener. Of course, we were on Team Gone, but I don't think anybody thought it was going to be that easy because every fight that we've ever broken down with Derek Lewis, he's been a live underdog because of his power. Mm-hmm. Live dog mentality. Throw those big bombs. But in the Gaon fight, he looks seriously outclassed and disinterested. He's not very quick at this weight class anymore. Guys are routinely beating him. He's taken some lumps. And outside that one big overhand right, he's just not the same guy he used to be. So I think Dawkins is going to be all over him early. But if Derek Lewis is going to Derek Lewis and survives for whatever reason, two or three rounds, at least we know for him, dude could hit you at any stage in the fight and knock you out. Like Mm -hmm. he's one of these guys that looks lethargic the whole time he's out there, but carries his power the whole way through. So Dawkins has to mind the P's and Q's and hopefully take Derek Lewis probably under two and a half would be his best path to victory. But I think he's on his way up. This is a division that's hungry for new up and coming heavyweights. He looks like one of them. He looks like a legitimate prospect. And we're simply talking about him trying to strike with Derek Lewis, which would be a stupid game plan. If he goes out there and shoots a takedown and takes him down, again, did I mention BJJ block belt out of Martinez uh, BJJ? He, he's going to be okay on the ground. He's going to be far better than Derek Lewis on the ground. But yeah. I think he can get it done wherever he wants. He just got to fight the smart game plan, and hopefully I'm not buying too much into his cardio here. So, uh, yeah, I, I got to go Dawkins. Yeah, I, I'm with you as well. I like Dawkins as well in this spot. But – I don't like him that much because, like, you mentioned the wrestling. He hasn't really shown the wrestling whatsoever. I know he's got a good BJJ game, but 
came in on the scales of 231 pounds. Derek Lewis on fight night is an easy 270, 280 pounds. <laughs> yeah. The, that game plan, I'm not sure. I just haven't seen the wrestling from. I would prefer uh, if Dawkins did have some sort of wrestling game and that we had seen it, I would prefer this bet a lot more. Because obviously, if you have Derek Lewis on his back or able to control him down there, I mean, he's a fish out of water pretty much. Um, so I think, yeah, the speed of Dawkins will be the big uh, determining factor in this fight. But he's definitely got to mind his P's and Q's because, I mean, you think of the Volkov fight where it's like Volkov fought the perfect fight pretty much start to finish. And what happens in the in the dying seconds of the fight? You got knocked the F out. So, I mean, it's a similar type of stylistic matchup here where, you know, one guy is going to have the better striking technique, the better speed, but it only takes one. So... Um, I would be careful about getting too heavily invested in Dawkins, even at minus 140. Um, uh, it only takes one strike, one perfectly placed strike, and, and that's that's all. Like, there's only some we, we always talk about with heavyweights. There's only so much the human brain can take, and Derek Lewis is time and time again shown us that he only yeah he could be outstruck 90 to to five, and the sixth strike that goes through. That ends the fight. So, obviously, um, Derek Lewis is is live in in every every heavyweight fight, especially a heavyweight fight which we expect to take place on the feet. Um, I think that's all we really have to say about this one. Correct? Yeah, yeah. Heavyweights be heavyweights, and we're coming off uh, Amanda Nunez. Anything can happen. Who knows? The two weight classes that are the most untrustworthy. Well, actually, all the women's MMA weight classes and the men's heavyweight division. So I uh, expect the unexpected. Derek Lewis is one of these guys that has pulled off the unexpected. I just think he's running out of magic in the tank and Dekas wins this one. Yeah, I agree with that. All right, we got Stephen Wonderboy Thompson taking on Bilal Muhammad. Minus 220 Thompson, plus 180 Muhammad. I like Thompson here. I think Thompson is the rightful favorite. Um, nobody really outstrikes Thompson on the feet. Muhammad's got a bit of a wrestling game, but Wonderboy's entire, you know, for the last five, six years, his takedown defense is, has made such improvements that it's like, unless you're an elite wrestler, you're going to struggle to get him to the mat. And he nobody controls distance better than Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. I like Thompson to win. I like Thompson to win by decision. What about you? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think Bilal Muhammad's a generalist, but nothing, not one area of his game is advanced. He's not an advanced striker. He's not an advanced wrestler. His cardio is pretty good. His durability is pretty fair. But uh, the UFC has generally matched this guy up with guys outside the top 15. His wins are Lyman Good, Takashi Sato, Curtis Millinder, Chance Rencounter, Diego, not Douglas Lima, <clears throat> and a 42-year-old Damian Maya. So, yeah, I don't know. When he fights guys outside of the top 20, he's able to look good because they're not elite strikers or they're not elite wrestlers, and he can just ply his craft against them properly. Whenever he's going to run into these one guys that specialize in one area, he's going to have trouble employing his game. Now, you look back at the Leon Edwards fight because that's the first time he's fighting a guy not only in the top 15, but at least Edwards is top five, right? Edwards is way faster than him and just dictates the range far easier. And he's able to land routinely in that first round. Does poke him, but you can see a guy that moves laterally that's quick-footed and has good range management, like extends himself and plays himself long. 
yeah, he just struggles against those guys. Plus, he's not the quickest guy going. So he struggles mightily. And then, unfortunately, an eye poke, two eye pokes in the second round lead to a no contest. And that's the end of the fight. So you don't get to see it extended. But I think everybody was satisfied with how it went, thinking, OK, Leon Edwards basically won this fight. He just looked out of it. I think Thompson's going to do a lot of the same thing, even though he himself is getting a little bit older. He still moves as good as anybody. His strikings is as good as anyone's. I think that he'll be able to routinely beat Bilal Muhammad standing. Muhammad does have a decent chin. He will probably try to crash forward and eventually try to take him to the ground. But yeah, his wrestling's not good enough. Now you look at Thompson's last fight. What a effing, can't swear on TV anymore. What a letdown that was against Gilbert Burns. But when you get taken down by Gilbert Burns, the likelihood of getting back up, not great. When you get taken down by Bilal Muhammad, the likelihood of getting back up, not that bad. So I, and also Gilbert Burns much better wrestler than Bilal Muhammad. So I think in this scenario, he does win the striking exchanges, although he stuffs the takedowns, he gets himself off the cage when he needs to. And if he does get taken down, he works his way back up. So yeah, I got, uh, I got Steven Wonderboy Thompson. I'd like to take Wonderboy Thompson by decision. I think that's an excellent way to improve it. Um, Blah Muhammad's shown a bunch of real good durability. But again, when you rewatch that Leon Edwards fight, he gets True. stung in the first round. Like he gets mm -hmm. wobbled in the first round. Edwards tries to pounce on him. He does recover. And then eventually it's the no contest in the second. So I, I think that when you're taking a hundred significant strikes by Wonder Boy, one of them slips through. It could knock you out. And for that reason, I'm hesitant in chasing that particular prop. But that's fair. Certainly I'm gonna go with Wonder Boy. All right, we got Amanda Lamas taking on Angela Hill. Minus 350 Lamas, plus 270 Hill. Who you got here, bud? Yeah, so who priced this thing? Like, this makes, in my opinion, this thing makes no sense. So you got Amanda Lamas, right, 34 years old. So it's, the fact that she's broken into the UFC and made a little bit of a name for herself quickly, I, I don't think you would tout her up as some up-and-coming prospect that's just busting through the division and winning. Makes her debut against Leslie Smith. Of that 135-pound Leslie Smith gets TKO'd in the second. So she takes two years off after that and actually drops down two weight classes. But, Paul, what's her win since? So she beats Miranda Granger. Okay, all right. So she takes Granger down, submits her. Didn't even have any hooks in with that rear naked choke. The fight with Mizuki Inoue, very competitive. Very competitive. I think she tired a little bit in that fight down the stretch. Her striking is largely one and done. She's got a big power low leg kick. She's got a big power right hand. Besides that, she doesn't throw in combinations. She doesn't throw in some great volume. Now, in a way, routinely tries to go to the wrestling, and I think that's part of the reason why she does slow down. But it's actually quite competitive throughout. Now, the next two fights are first-round finishes. So she knocks out Livion Souza, who's proven to be a huge bust. And that fight is sad, man. Even the referee looks at her afterwards and she, he's just like, nah, I'm not letting this thing continue. Like, just a bum fight, really. And then she knocks out Montserrat Ruiz, 35 seconds. Ruiz taking the fight on short notice. So what you have is wins over Miranda Granger, no longer with the UFC. Mizuki Inoue, to my knowledge, no longer with the UFC. Liviana Souza just got released from the UFC. And Montserrat Ruiz, so there's no real notable wins in the stretch, right? She's a minus 350 favorite. Now, I think most people expect this thing to go to the decision because... It's an Angela Hill fight, right? Like, Angela Hill fights two decisions. This thing's likely going to be a stand-up battle. Mm -hmm. By the way, Lamosh doesn't have some great ground game. Like, her, where's her offensive wrestling? We haven't seen any of her offensive wrestling. She can drop somebody. She's got good power. Got but great is that power the game plan the against Hill? She's going to... Yeah, 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 sure. But Hill's, great Hill's always had a beard. She's always been very, very tough to put away, 100%. Very difficult to put away. So when you watch Hill's style, not as much power for sure and very much touch and go, but the volume's there. And again, I, I hate to just look at it strictly based on the numbers, but 
when you look at it based on the numbers, it certainly favors Hill. She's fought in a couple five-round fights. She's shown that her cardio is certainly not terrible. She can put the foot on the gas when need be. But even when you look at her three-round fights, uh, her last time out against Tisha Torres, she lands 96 significant strikes over the course of three rounds. Very competitive fight with Tisha, by the way. The fight prior with Yotter, 77. Before that, it is a five-rounder, but 131. Her fight with Claudia Gadelia, she dropped Claudia Gadelia in round three and also landed 90 significant strikes through 15 minutes. Volume's there for her. Certainly, she's got good striking technique. Her problem is when people want to grapple her and pin her up against the cage and drag her to the ground, and that doesn't figure to be a problem here. Now, she did lose her last time to Tisha Torres, and it was strictly a stand-up battle, but Tisha's fast and throws in combinations, whereas Lemos is fast and powerful but does not throw in combinations so all i'm saying is this thing's probably going to be a decision fight that's closely contested and why would you want minus 350 on amanda lamash uh i'm gonna go with the experience here maybe it's the wrong decision i won't be super high up on it but i'll go with angel hill i i figure it's probably a lucrative mma uh new zealand's finest who's who's really propped up uh his girl amanda lamash she's won him a whole bunch of money she won me a bunch of money against Nectat. Last time out, yeah. I, had, I had the round yeah. one prop. I had the TKO prop. But yeah, Hill is a massive step up from somebody who's a one-trick pony and can only do the head and arm choke and, and control from the, from that perspective. Uh, Lamas has been impressive, but we're talking yep. about women's strawweight division. It's just like it's historically not like, you know, first-round finishes are usually f- pretty few and far between. So yeah, if Hill's able to extend this out, I think the best look in this fight, I'm with you. I've I've been kind of startled by this line. Is Hill by decision is plus 500 at uh, yeah. a DraftKings Sportsbook. Like maybe she loses mm-hmm. round one. This is probably a fight you want to watch live. Maybe maybe you see Lamas is probably going to come out hot. She's going to try to finish. Like when you finish, I mean Amanda Nunez just kind of showed us this. Is like when you finish so many of these opponents early on. Well, what happens in round two if they don't go away? So um, a fight that I'm definitely going to be paying really, really close attention to live. And I'm with you. I thought that the, it was actually minus 400 yesterday. And uh, yeah. it seems like some people are starting to take their nibbles on Angela Hill. And I can't really fault them. I think it's a dogger pass situation, 100%. All right, moving on down. We got Ricky Simone taking on Rafael Asuncao. Minus 280 Simone, plus 225 Asuncao. What you take here, bud? Yeah, I think speed kills, man. And I think that's the big difference is that Hafella Sunsau at this stage in his career is just giving up way too much speed to a lot of these younger opponents. And even though he poses a lot of problems to Ricky Simone, I just think that age is eventually caught up to him. So he's 39 years old, but it's kind of more so the history. He hasn't fought since the first round, sorry, uh, second round knockout loss to Cody Garbrandt. That was 18 months ago, so a year and a half. Coming back now with an 18-month layoff at the age of 39, you're going to be ring. You're going to have some ring rust, but beyond that, your timing is just going to be off. And he's already a slow guy to begin with, but he shattered his ankle right before that fight and had taken a year off. And before, I think there's another fight. If you just basically, if you look at his history, right, he fights Corey Sanhagen, then he takes a year off, fights Cody Garbrandt. Now he's taking a year and a half off, coming back to this spot. He has a bad history of injuries. He's had a bunch of major surgeries. Now at 39 years old, his just his timing's off and his speed's not quite there. You can look at his history and say, geez, this guy's got huge wins, and he does, right? He has very solid victories, right? Wins over TJ Dillashaw, uh, wins over Marlon Marais, wins over Aljamain Sterling. Like, man, this guy's competitive at his best. 
But those days of sing slongs pass. Mm-hmm. If you want to judge him on his last three fights, the Marlon Moraes fight, he got rocked. And then as he got rocked, he gave up a guillotine choke. Uncharacteristic that he'd get submitted, but he was very hurt in that fight. The Corey Sandhagen fight shows you that even a young up-and-comer is just too much speed. These guys are too fast for him. They're beating him to the punch. Even though he completes four takedowns in that fight, he lands, what, 36 significant strikes? Like, there's not enough volume out of out of him throughout the course of 15 minutes. And then his last fight with Cody Garbrandt, I scored the first round for him on the basis of, Nobody did anything, but at least he was coming forward. Landed slightly outstruck him. And uh, and then in the second round, he was looking all right. No one was really doing anything, and then he got absolutely knocked out. Yeah. Now, there's another thing uncharacteristic for him. He used to have a granite chin, but now you see Marlon's hurting him, and then you see uh, Cody Garbrandt knock him out year and a half layoff none of this spells good news now when you look at ricky simone is he a very good striker no but he's actually quite a bit faster than the sunset and i think what he's going to do is use that speed and use his superior volume because the thing with simone is that he can put his foot on the gas for 15 minutes he's got excellent cardio att portland guy these guys out in oregon grinding every single day right no doubt he can keep his foot on the gas and i think he'll use that striking to try to set up takedowns i don't think he cares about the uh, the grappling and i don't think a sunset's grappling is all that good off his back now, I am worried about shooting himself into a guillotine choke, of course, but his last fight with Brian Keller, he shot himself into three or four of them, didn't care, and none of them were close. Like, he knows how to defend. He's Keller's got this. a hell of a guillotine. And that's what makes me give me a little bit of reassurance that even though a Suns has a high-level BJJ black belt, yeah, yeah, the, the fact that he just breezed right through Kelleher like that, outstruck Kelleher when he needed to, took him down when he needed to, and just put a beating on him. His fight before that with Pietro, same thing, seven takedowns, just puts a beating on him. Again, if you want to look at fight metrics, and by the way, we're sponsored by DraftKings Sportsbook, shout out. But if you actually play straight up DraftKings, like Ricky Simone's a dream, dude. Six takedowns against Brian Kelleher, seven takedowns against Gaetano Perello, seven takedowns against Ray Borg, six takedowns against Rob Font. Like the guy is a machine. Mm-hmm. Has a bullshit guillotine choke stoppage over Marab Devajvili, but you know he's fighting to the end, and you know this guy's strong and can put his foot on the gas. And I think that youth, athleticism, superior cardio, better strength of schedule, like he's been fighting recently, all of that will just be a little too much for Rafael Sunset. Even though he is a crafty veteran, you can never completely count him out. It's Ricky Simone's time, so uh, that, that's who I'm going to go with. 39-year-old bantamweights, man. It doesn't, it doesn't go well after 35 years old for anybody of the lower weight classes. It's a speed game, as you basically alluded to. I'm with you. The price is definitely uh, wide on Ricky Simone, but... I think he gets the job done. As long as he can stay out of some crafty submissions, like he's just going to rinse and repeat, get those takedowns. Um, yeah, I think he I think he pulls through, um, probably by decision. He's not exactly a potent finisher by any stretch of the imagination. Mm-hmm. All right, we got uh, Matus Gamrot taking on Diego Ferreira, minus 180 Gamrot, plus 155 for Ferreira, who you got here. Okay, so this one actually scares me because, as you know, I'm a Gamrock guy. I ride Gamrock all the time. Guy was a KSW champion. I've had to work so many KSW fights of his for Fight Network. And, yeah, the guy's a gamer, man. He's got excellent cardio. He fought at 145 at one point. Now he's at 155. Dual weight class champion. Uh, fought in the ADCCs against Gary Tonon. Like, he's got just extremely reputable credentials. Good striking. Can do it all. I thought this guy's going to be a star. I call him Polish GSP. He's so well-rounded, does everything so good, comes into the UFC, he's taking on uh, Guram Kudelitz, and I don't know why you said it, but you were like, yeah, I'm taking Guram Kudelitz, trains with Kazmat Chimaev, so this is nothing new for him, and he's going to keep the fight standing, and he's just going to bang. 
Whatever, Paul. My guy's 16. Sorry, he was 17 and 0 at the time. And he was uh he was like a minus, minus 330 three, favorite. Yeah. Plus 275. <laughs> and Paul's on, on Guru. Yeah, yeah, I know, man. Now I did score the fight on a personal level, like slightly edged towards Gamera, I mean, but I wasn't upset whatsoever. I tend to do better when I'm not chalk chasing like I did on, on Nunez. It was an excellent play on your part. It was his first professional defeat. You looked terrible, and I, I don't know. I, you, you could make an excuse. Oh, UFC debut and the lights and the action, and he looked like shit. So he comes out against Scott Holtzman, and we've got tampered expectations, and looks way better, man. Very, very mm-hmm. versatile in the first round with his striking. I mean, just solid everywhere. Mixes it up. Goes to the body. Goes to the head. He's got an excellent kick game. Everything's really tight and precise. And he's actually left Poland and trains that American top team now. They got this guy tight. Knocks out Holtzman in the second. Feather in your cap, not because it's a win over Scott Holtzman, because knocking out Holtzman's pretty decent, right? The next fight with Jeremy Stevens, he just buzzsawed right through him with his superior grappling, right? This fight here pres- presents a lot of problems because uh, Ferreira, his grappling's next level, right? He's a third-degree Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. His striking, very crafty, good technical boxing. He's at a Fortis MMA in uh, Texas. You see all types of success coming out of them. He is a very wily, crafty opponent. But if you want to say the one knock on him, his last two fights have really outlined guys with a good takedown game and good jiu-jitsu. It's path of victory. Benil Darius scores five takedowns. He uses superior top control. And, I mean, he's a BJJ black belt, too. Avoid the submissions, ground him, you win the fight. Gregor Gillespie, I was actually a little bit surprised when he was going to the takedowns like that. You, we all know Gregor Gillespie's world-class wrestling, but why would you want to be on, why would you want to grapple for a prolonged period of time with Ferreira? Ferreira looked decent in the first round. He tried an omoplata, he tried an armbar, he scrambled out of three of them, and he actually, in the last 30 seconds of the round against Gregor, takes his back, flattens him out, searches for the choke, Gregor doesn't give it to him, smashes him with two, three good solid strikes, couple elbows, round ends. Like, holy Christ, man, he's he's in it. He's looking good. Second round, gassed. Gregor goes right back to the wrestling, and now all of a sudden, he's half as fast, can't compete. So these guys with smothering cardio, smothering wrestling, good grappling, they're just going to put a pace on him. That's what Gamron should do. So I'm going to take Matus Gamron, but I do fully recognize that Ferrer is still alive, man. Like, even though he's 36, he's got a wealth of potential, not potential, of experience and a very good skill set. He could pull an upset. He could make something happen. But I think if you look at anything with uh, online right now with Gamera, it's him and Mike Brown, him and Mike Brown, right? So you know they're going to come in with a proper strategy. And Mike Brown, would've, they would have watched the fights. They would have seen the path of victory. They should go out there and execute. So can he wrestle like Gregor? No. He's not as good of a wrestler as Gregor. Keep the pace high, though. Keep the pace high. Keep the pace on this guy. You got to keep the pace really high against him. Because I think, yeah, if they end up just in, like, regular grappling exchanges, like, early on in that Gillespie fight, you saw that, like, that uh, that Carlos Diego Ferreira is not to be messed with. Like, he could – he was able to hang early in that fight. And he almost gassed out Gregor Gillespie, but – Obviously, Gregor, Gregor, you know, uh, an entire lifetime of of wrestling. Um, he had an extra gear to put himself into uh, as that fight went on. He said he was gassed. He thought he, like, if you actually heard his, like, post-fight interviews and all that, he thought he was gassed, but he's just like, not today. It's not going to happen today. <laughs> um, so he was able to put himself into another gear, and I think that's what really threw Carlos Diego Ferreira off is that he's like, oh my God, like I'm exhausted. I thought he was exhausted and he was able to just keep going. Um, yeah. Gamrot five round experience on the KSW scene. So, so, so much of it. 
that uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him get out to a little bit of a slow start here. But you got to keep the pace up on him. And I think he's the rightful favorite. So I'm with you here. I'll pick, I'll pick Gamrot, but I don't love it. Next one up, we've got Cub Swanson taking on Darren Elkins. Minus 200, Cub Swanson. Plus 170, Darren Elkins. I mean, this is a fight that's just straight up. I want to see live, um, and this is a fight that I'm definitely watching to see live. Because I know one thing, Darren Elkins is not going to quit. He's going to get boxed up. He's going to get like he's going to get beaten up on the feet. But like that's literally that's just every single Darren Elkins fight is him just getting beaten up on the feet. The guy's got the damage tattooed on his chest for a reason. It's like the guy can just take. An obscene amount of punishment. Cub Swanson's obviously a little bit longer in the tooth at this point. Um, he, I mean, he's a BJJ black belt, but but, but has been submitted seven times. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see Cub Swanson go out there, try to knock him out, and then he, the fumes start running thin for him, and Darren Elkins takes over. So, gun to my head right now. I think it's you know classic situation for Darren Elkins. It's dog or pass. Um, I think it's a better fight to actually bet live. See if, like, Cub throws his best shots. Make sure that Darren survives, which he should survive. But you never know with these refs. Maybe Darren's looking, you know, really wobbly, and they step in to try to save him or whatever. It's just like, no, it's a Darren Elkins fight. It's like, unless he has been removed from his consciousness, you let this guy survive because he has shown time and time again he is never going to quit in there. I think it's dog or pass. I think if I had to, if I had to bet, I'm not going to bet it pre-fight because I think Cub Swanson is going to come out to a like a really hot start, and I would get a better number anyway. Um, that I, I think, yeah, plus one seventy is Darren Elkins, but I think you'll probably get like a plus three hundred in the live markets. And if you see any sign of Cub Swanson starting to slow down, starting to question himself, or if Darren Elkins is able to get a takedown, the time is now to jump on Darren Elkins. So um, I'm going to wait it, wait it out from, from a pre-bet perspective, but Darren Elkins is my pick. I, I don't trust Cub at this point in his, in his career. Yeah, dude, fair. So I was thinking the same thing. Like if Cub starts to tire and fatigue and Elkins is going to work his way back into it because that's what he does. So my mission was to find it the last time Cub Swanson had fatigued. And it's tough to find, you know, his last fight against Giga Chikot sends early. He eats a body kick. I don't think anybody's expecting that out of Darren Elkins. But the Pineda fight, Pineda puts the pressure on him hard early, hurts him early. You know, pounces on him and then Pineda gasses out. Cub takes over because he has superior cardio. This fight with Cron Gracie, he kicked his ass pillar to post. Cardio looked awesome. The fight with Shane Burgos, what a war. What an absolute war. Cub goes a hard 15. Fight with Moicano ends early. Goes hard with Frankie. Goes hard with Lobov over 25 minutes. It was a five-rounder, that one, if you can believe that. Doesn't seem like traditionally he has bad cardio. So I don't know. He's only got 60% takedown defense throughout the course of his career. Like if Elkins can smother him, take him down, grind him, cause him to eventually get to the ground and end up on top. Yeah, Elkins just going to keep on coming. But if Cub can just use his superior footwork, stay to the outside, you would think that he's going to box up Darren Elkins. Like I love me some Darren Elkins. I really do. How many plus money tickets have we cashed on Elkins? Lots. How many times have Tons, cup cup by, cup by decision off? is plus 150, which... Yeah, that's not bad either. Is he going to finish he, Darren he, Elkins? 
No, I don't. Wow, well, finishing Darren Elkins. Probably no, not. No, he's not going to. He's not going to. I'll tell you something about Darren Elkins. Alexander Volkanovsky dropped him twice. Okay. He was hurt. Never stopped coming. No. Ricardo Lamas. Oh, sure. Ricardo Lamas knocked him out. There was only 51 seconds left in the fight. He was fighting to the death. Fortunately, the death met him 51 seconds before the fight went the distance. But it takes a it takes a heroic effort in and a lot. He's got damage tattooed across his chest. Referees go into the average fight thinking if this guy gets in trouble, I'm gonna step in and do something about it. They go into Elkins' fights like, eh, I'm expecting him yeah, to get he, himself in. He some needs trouble. to be convulsing for me to do anything about this. Yeah, and so in that style, that grit is he leads to he can beat frauds, right? So he beats Derek Minner, who I hate to disrespect the guy, I really do. Just He's not my kind of guy, right? He beats Eduardo Garagori, right? Uh, at the UFC level, I think we can all agree he's a fraud, right? His, you've got to win over Michael Johnson. Well, shit, that's what happens with Michael Johnson. He wins the early round, which he did, and then eventually gets taken down and blows it for himself, mm-hmm. which he did. Uh, you guys got to win over Mursad Bektich, who's like, goddamn, so much potential fraud, right? So those are the types that Darren Elkins can be because he'll just use that superior will. Is he a better striker? No. Is he a better athlete? No. He's just got the will. He'll grind those guys down and beat them. With Cub, you know, he's a, he's got two fight of the years under his belt. Like, he's been in these dog fights, and if Elkins doesn't take him down, he's just going to pull a Nate Landwehr, right? He'll just get the better of the striking exchanges over the course of 15. The fight with Landwehr and Elkins, total dog fight, total dog fight. But you saw Landwehr with the superior striking technique. And that's notable because Nate Landwehr doesn't have very much striking technique. <laughs> he's just a junkyard dog, right? Cubs got technique and he's a dog. He can take this fight to the deeper waters and he'll still be fighting. Mm-hmm. I just don't know that Elkins puts the pace on him. But all that being said, and I will take Cub Swanson. He's the official pick. I don't like that price tag. I didn't like it from the moment I saw it or the moment I saw it a few days ago at minus 200. I don't know. Why don't you just take Cub by decision plus 150 then? That's what I would do. I would take Cub by decision at one, minus one. Like if uh, he's going to win, and then just strike from the outside. He probably wins by decision more than forty percent of the time, because that's what that, plus one fifty would, would indicate. I feel like that 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 is the play if you're going to play Cub Swanson. Just trust yeah, in Darren yeah. Elkins. Trust in the damage to survive. <laughs> Right. And uh, bet- I, I, I got faith because if this Dar- fight stays Darren on the Elkins feed, it's going to be one way traffic. Like, I don't have very much faith in Darren. El- Darren Elkins needs to secure takedowns and he needs to secure them often because um, I don't even think he's going to be able to completely just hold them down there. Um, he needs to get those takedowns. He needs to secure them. He needs to hold hold position because when they're on the feet, he's going to be losing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One would, in, yeah, yeah, exactly. Unless Cub was that tired, which I just don't foresee happening. But otherwise, yeah, it's, you got you got a tale of two fights. Cub's re- takedown defense has to be good enough to keep it standing, and that's where I'm hoping this fight plays it. But the price tags off, and I think that's why your shot on Darren Elkins does make sense. I didn't take a shot on him yet. Um, mm, probably fair. something more. Pass. I'm gonna. Look. I think it's Dogger Pass. All right, we got hey. uh, Gerald Mearshare taking on Dustin. Stoltzfus minus two thirty five Mearshart plus one ninety for Stoltzfus. Who you got here? I feel like you're gonna want to jump on that minus two thirty Gerald Mearshart. Like uh, Stoltzfus has just looked absolutely abysmal, man. My God. Uh, so he's a American by way of Germany. He's from Pennsylvania. Wrestled a little bit in high school, but 
no real notable accolades. And then since he's moved to Germany, I believe he's a brown belt, may have recently got promoted to black belt, but I believe he's a BJJ brown belt at uh, Team Planet Eater, which is a Dean Lister affiliate. So on paper, he's got some legitimate skills. He goes on Dana White's Contender Series. I watched the tape on him. Like his striking's okay, a little bit of power. He beats Jonas Bildenstein on the German regional scene, and then he debuts against Joseph Pfeiffer on Contender Series. I went with Pfeiffer. Pfeiffer's all over him early, takes him down, beating him pretty handedly. They get back standing. Stolfood shoots a takedown, slams um, Pfeiffer. Pfeiffer posts his arm out to post. It breaks his arm. I don't know why he got a contract on his opponent breaking his arm in a, in a, in a round he was otherwise losing, by the way. I don't know. They need somebody short notice, I guess. So he debuts against Kyle Doukas, and his takedown defense is not quite there. His grappling's not quite there. Even though those are the two things that he might bring to the table, they're not actually quite there. They're not. It's not an advanced skill set. It's easy money win for Kyle Doukas. His next fight against Rodolfo Vieira, I thought his striking looked a little bit better. He had some decent striking numbers. He was actually winning the fight in the sense of punches landed, and he threw a ton. He threw a lot ton of these small chip shots, like because he was getting controlled in the grappling. He was getting taken down again. He was getting controlled and eventually gets submitted in the third round. No big deal. It's Rodolfo Vieira. But the big deal was, is that now the blueprint's been created. This guy's takedown defense, not that good. His counter grappling, not that good. His ability to get back up, not that good. Is he going to throw up submissions off his back? No, probably not. Striking, yeah, okay, it remains to be seen, but just drag him into that exact territory, right? So he's initially supposed to take on Anthony Hernandez. Hernandez bails. He gets a fight with Keo Barahal. Barahal's out, and now he draws Gerald Mearshart. Flip side, Gerald Mearshart was supposed to be on this card already, taking on Abu Supian Magomedov, right? So all they're doing is mix and matching guys together. The thing is with Gerald Mearshart, he's got a ton of experience, right? It doesn't really matter. He's taking fights on short notice. He'd be fine whoever he's fighting. He's got a decent enough skill set. I'm not sold on his chin. Heinish knocks him out. Your boy comes out Chimaev, just buzzsawed him like 17 seconds. I'm not totally sold on his chin. He's got decent cardio. He's got awesome BJJ, good output. He's actually a better striker than uh, Dustin Stolfus. He's got better wrestling than Dustin Stolfus. And his grappling, in my opinion, is better than Dustin Stolfus. He wins this fight wherever it takes place, uh, other than puncher's chance he gets clipped by something. So that would be Stolfus's path of victory is that we haven't really seen the best of his striking quite yet. And if Mirshard gives him an opportunity to show that, he might get clipped. But if Mirshard goes out there and just smothers this guy with his grappling, presses him up against the cage, peels on him, he's eventually just going to take him down, end up on his back. And that would be best path of victory, best place that we'd like to, for this to take place uh, should be his. If it doesn't quite hit the ground, he's got the better striking technique. It's just now you're playing with fire a little bit that you mm -hmm. could get clipped, theoretically. So I go with Jeremy Mirshard. His chin's not good enough to make him a top ticket play, but uh, I mean, he's got legitimate wins in the UFC. His last fight with Muradov alone he's a plus 440 underdog against muradov he took muradov's best shots in the first round mm -hmm. chin held up second and third round he just grinded on him man he really did. took him down out grappled him his fight with deron win deron win early you know stuffing everything decent strike no he just grinds on him hurts him to the body takes him down chokes him out he's he's been in some just like drag out fights before uh if he makes that this this fight that he's got the experience to do so so I go with Jeremy Shot. I don't think minus two thirty is a terrible price tag, to be honest with you. But it's MMA, you know, anything can happen. Buyers beware. Yeah, I mean, paying minus two thirty five for Gerald Mearshart just feels wrong. Yeah. But I don't really want to line up with my money to bet Dustin Stolfus because he hasn't really shown me anything in the UFC to get excited about.
And it was like he was doing great. He was doing great against Rodolfo Vieira last time out. And Vieira just all of a sudden, like, he's like, oh, shit, I'm going to lose this fight. Turned on the Jets, found the submission, found it pretty quickly. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Gerald Mersha, in fairness, too, has, what, the most submission victories in at least middleweight history. Um, the guy, The guy obviously stays super, super active. But, yeah, the cardio tends to hold up for him as well. He's not the most talented guy. If you put him in there against a top 15, top 10 type of guy in the world, he's going to, you know, he's going to falter. But Dustin Stolfus ain't that guy. So I'm with you. Mearshart is the pick. I don't love laying minus 235 on him. I will say that. Next up, we got your boy Ronnie Barcellos taking on your other boy, Victor Henry. Um, there was some random Twitter account that, like, only follows Cody on Twitter who told us about this fight, like, at least two days before anybody... Did you see this, Cody? Because I know you're not I on Twitter all that much. Yeah, no, I did. So this yeah, guy told us about this. So obviously, he's probably linked to Victor Henry in some way, shape, or form. He wanted us... I don't even know his name because I can't even find the tweet right now. I was just looking it up right now. But he was just like, let people know about, uh, you know, a certain a certain birdie that stopped by to tell you all about this fight. So yeah, right on. this Vic, uh, Victor Henry's buddy, training partner, that's my guess. Uh, that's that's where my mind space is going. He, he must know Victor Henry. But yeah, we knew about this fight like a couple days before, you know, your your Marcel Dorfs and, and everybody else started announcing that this fight was happening. But uh, Barcellos versus Henry, battle of Cody's boys, who you got? Battle of my boys. I've been saying for a long time, Victor Henry should be in the UFC. This guy's got notable wins. He's fought. He's been like the top rank. See, here's his problem, right? Is that he was an American fighter from California, catch wrestling, catch with catch can, goes over to Japan and just fought all the best Japanese guys and just made no profile for himself in North America, but an excellent resume for himself over in Japan. He's the king of pancreas. The guy's the absolute man. He's got good wrestling. He's got good striking. I'm going to classify him as a generalist, and he's a tricky fighter, but he can do everything well. His problem is his best days were likely spent fighting lesser competition for lesser paydays. He shows victories. While, I mean, as a career, he shows victories over Japanese legend Hideo Takoro, Japanese legend Masakatsu Ueda. Uh, he's got a win over a UFC veteran Anderson Dos Santos, Japanese legend Takafumi Atsuka, UFC veteran Kyler Phillips. This Russian prospect, Denis Letterviev, oh my god, monster. And that's actually his last fight. He did lose to him, but they're one and one. He has a win over him. My god. Yuki Montoya was like the top-ranked Japanese flyweight for time. He's got Masahori Kanahara, actually UFC veteran and Japanese legend, but uh, you know, UFC veteran kind of guy. Albert Morales, sorry, that's his last fight. UFC veteran. The guy's experience, he has went over decent people. The problem is, is that they've done him no favors matching up with Rowney Barcellos, who just does everything exquisite. Now, Barcellos hurt a bad ticket for me this last time out, and people who followed me were hurt by the bad ticket Rowney Barcellos. But that just came back. That should have been a draw, too, by the way. It's an excellent how do you fight, not? How do you not score? Which round was it? Was it the, which round? Was the first, wasn't it? I thought it was the second. Either way, there was a 10-8 there for Barcello. So it's just like, if you're scoring these other rounds, 10-9s, I don't know how you don't score that a 10-8. Because like, he knocked him down multiple times. He, he was, knocked him down multiple times. He, yeah. he yeah. almost yeah. finished the fight. It's just like, uh, 
I don't know. Sometimes, sometimes the scoring, obviously, everyone, everyone gets frustrated with it. But sometimes it's just like it just doesn't make too much sense. Yeah, yeah. So that's exactly it. Is the first round's close and competitive. Second round, he hurts him. Third round, he takes his foot off the gas. It's just I, I don't know why he took his foot off the gas because he's a guy with tremendous cardio. That's one of the things I tell with him. And when you talk about a, a general or someone that can do everything well, they do everything well. They don't do everything great. Roundy does everything great, man. So he's like a seven-time member of the Brazilian national wrestling team. Competed at all the international tournaments. Wrestling is tight for a Brazilian fighter. I mean, go and find me a Brazilian with better tactical offensive wrestling anyways, but just overall better wrestling acumen, like tight, tight, tight. Brazilian jiu-jitsu, high-level black belt. Submission game, on point. You leave your neck available, he's taking it. His boxing, good boxing, excellent boxing. Could throw a little more like kick game. And uh, I don't know, it just it came down to ring IQ, man. He just fought a bad game plan. It's a tough opponent. It's a tough fight. But Rioni, you got to go for it. And, that, and that's where the one thing comes up. You'll call it ageism. But Rowney is a little bit of an advanced age. Victor Henry is actually also 34. They're both 34. But it's the same problem I have with Chris Curtis long-term. He's 34 years old. So he's making a name for himself right now. Everyone's getting hyped up on him right now. And if he's 28, you know, this is a guy that's going to be fighting some very meaningful fights. But at 34, it does seem like his best days probably spent on the regional scene. Rowney, best days, not in the UFC. Victor Henry's best day is not in the UFC. How do they match up right now? Well, Rowney is actually a better wrestler than Victor Henry. He's a better striker than Victor Henry. He, he, he's a better grappler than Victor Henry. He wins this fight where the fight takes place. Cardio should be par, should be pretty fair, should be pretty even. Victor Henry, much better ring IQ. And so he could put a good game plan together. He could fight a good fight. He could pull it off. Ah, it'd be a cold day in hell before I go flat out against my boy Rowney Barcellos, especially against a guy making his UFC debut. Come on, let's be real. So... Got to go with Rowney Barcellos. Is the price right now? Probably not. But uh, Rowney's got a million-dollar skill set. No doubt about it. It's just, mm, he let me down his last time out, and I think maybe he's getting a little bit older. It could be start becoming a theme. I'm just hoping he's not going to do it twice in a row. So sign me up with Rowney. Yeah, I'm totally with you there. Um, the guy's got the, the complete skill set, and Timur Valiev ain't no scrub. So, And frankly, that, that fight was... It, I, I don't want to complain about, you know, results that have happened, but that was that one. I felt pretty stunned when it went to the scorecards. I was like, how do you not, how do you not score that a 10, eight, if you're going to do anything? Like, I, I can't remember the exact round of course right now, but like yeah, he I had mean, him dude. on death's door. Now that being said, <laughs> why don't you follow <laughs> up the good. next round and stick it to him and keep going after it? Cause I think he, gassed himself out a little bit trying to seek for that finish so losing that fight i think it was i feel like it was round two um off the top of my head either way it was uh, round two, yeah yeah I'll, I'll roll with you on barcellos there but minus 330 is a hefty price pe- uh, price tag to pay now next up i mean we gotta know cody minus 330 justin taffa plus 260 harry hunsucker I mean, is this the lowest level heavyweight fight that the UFC can make <laughs> with its current roster? Because you got well, you got Tafa, who's like four and three. He can knock some guys out early, but he has shown that he's a little bit of a liability if it gets if it gets a little bit deeper. And Harry Hunsucker probably shouldn't have been signed to the organization in the first place. Doesn't really make all that much sense, obviously. Um, 
you know, my boy Tai Tuivasa absolutely obliterated him. But we're talking about Hunsucker, who on the Contender Series got finished by ground and pound in round one against Jared Vanderaa, who is one of the lower level heavyweights in the UFC. Um, got got well, followed that up with a win on the regional scene, and then they straight up, yeah, they straight up just fed him to Ty. They wanted Chewies to be had, and Ty was like, all right, get me a bum. And they were. And they were had. Um, there's no way I'm getting excited about betting Ty, uh, Justin Taffa at minus 330. It just, it's just not going to happen. Um, Low-level heavyweights, crazy things happen in this sport at the best of times. He hasn't given me any sort of reason to be confident in his abilities, but Harry Hunsucker may be on that um, that woat, that woat track. Like, he may be, who is the guy that we used to always make fun of, who is the worst of all time, the South African guy? Juan Potts. Ru- Ruan Potts. <laughs> Ruan Potts versus Harry Hunsucker may need to be a fight that has to be booked. <laughs> Because I need to know. I need to know who was the worst heavyweight in UFC history. Um, I'll pick. I'll pick Justin Taffa. But, jeez. Minus 330. He hasn't given me any. Like I mean, he's coming off of two straight losses. At least in the Carlos Felipe fight. It's like he showed that he could go three rounds. I guess with Vandera, he went three rounds too. But Felipe, it's like it was It was very, very close. Um. Harry Hunsucker just, there's really nothing. It's shocking that he's even in the organization. So I'll pick, I'll pick tough up, but I'm not betting that. What about you? Yeah. I mean, it's shocking. He's in the organization, but I mean, he did them a favor. Uh, Harry Hunsucker sounds like he should be running for Congress in Kentucky and he is from Kentucky. Good old Harry Hunsucker. Like it don't get any better than that, my friend. But uh, yeah, yeah. Largely, largely a match here. Listen, as a, he used to fight in the Kentucky regional as an amateur fighter and just it was like a barroom brawl. He'd show up on a Saturday night for a Herkender, drink a couple beers, get in there and beat somebody up. And like he excelled in that realm of the sport. Coming over as a pro, he's just basically beaten up low-level guys to the tune of 0 and 0, 2 and 5, 1 and 0, 5 and 17, 9 and 14. Knocked out in contender series against Jared Vandera. He came out in the Vandera fight swinging. You know, might have even stung Vandera in the first minute or two. The thing is, is that. In like 10 amateur fights, he had been nine of them in the first round. One of them went to the second round. Mind you, amateur fights are three-minute rounds. It's not even really a being in the second round could still be being in the first round. You know what I mean? Uh, beyond that, as far as his pro record goes, everything is in the first round. He's never been to a second round before. So when he bum-rushed Vandera early, it was like, oh, my God, we all had money in Vandera. Let's be real. I mean, we looked at the record. We looked at the fights. No way Harry Hunsucker wins this. He came out bombing. But he can't go beyond one round, and that's what happened. He just completely fell apart, and Jared Vandera finishes him in the first. He gets a win over a 4-3 and three opponent. By the way, that was the first guy he had beaten who had a winning record. Bad news is because he beat him, he dropped down to 4-4. Four and four. Now he actually doesn't have a win over a guy with a winning record. They bring him back into the U- or they bring him into the UFC for Ty, just like you said. It's shoey time. Ty's on the card. Fans are coming down. We want a big shoey. We want a big celebration. We need somebody on short notice. We're, we just want to keep this fight together for the fans. Harry Hunsucker, are, are you going to, at 32 years old, are you going to say no? You don't want to make your UFC debut? You turn this down, they're never calling again. You take it. He shows up. 
he tried to throw down, but I mean, he got knocked out in 49 seconds. And so here lies the issue with him. He's got what? 12 pro fights. He's sorry. He's got 13 pro fights. He's 17, uh, he's seven and four, right? All of them inside the first round, all of his four losses, all four by KO in the first round. So he's mm-hmm. a defensive liability. His seven wins. Yeah, sure. All seven first round knockouts, but against who? Nobody. Justin Toffin, meanwhile, so you mentioned, oh, shit, maybe he's a one-round guy. The later the fight goes, no, he becomes no, a liability. No, no, I didn't say that. 100%. That no, all. you're right, though. Well, did you say the longer the fights goes, he kind of, like, becomes well, a problem? Well, he's lost those like, fights, not... but at least he showed yeah. that he can go three rounds. And I think I think that's the main thing here is that, yes, he could knock you out in the first round like he did against Juan Adams, but if he doesn't get the first round KO, he seems durable enough to go a second and third round. And in those second and third rounds, he's still landing some. But Jared Vandera, big tough guy at Team Quest, Dan Kenderson's camp at Temecula, California, he has a bit of a problem. He's six foot four, 265 pounds, right? He got some experience. BJJ Black Belt, there's experience there. Carlos Felipe, you know, he's not great, but he's cutting it in the division. He's hanging with guys in the division. He's doing the damn thing. They're not bad losses. Harry Hunsucker, the, nowhere near the guys that he's fought in Kentucky, nowhere near. And the times that he's stepped up, the Dante Mazes, that one time, and the Tied to Ivasa fight, just gets just punched out quick, right? So could he knock out uh, Justin Toffa? I'm going to say no. Why do I say no? Simply because this guy's a big Samoan, big thick Samoan. Jorgen DeCastro caught him. Since then, he's been just a lot smarter all around. His striking is going to be better than Hunsucker's. His card is going to be better than Hunsucker's. I think he's going to more often than not catch Harry before a carry catches him. If this thing goes to a second round, which I don't think it's going to, what's the under one and a half on this? Give me one second. I can look that up for you. Yeah. Well, as you look it up, it's, I would bet the under one and a half on this. And I think it's just two guys that are going to meet in the center of the ring. And just Sorry, the under one and a half is minus 165 already. Yeah, there you go. Minus 165. Pretty, I don't pretty, think people pretty are pretty jacked up for a, for a, for a under one and a half, to be honest. Yeah, so people are expecting a gunfight. Hunsucker's never seen a second round in his career. Toffa, meanwhile, he's got better striking technique. He's got better cardio. He's got more experience. Everything goes towards him. And and, and if you're Hunsucker, you make your debut in the UFC, bright lights, you lose to 49 seconds. What do you get out of that? I don't know. Is he going to be more comfortable here? I don't know. But one thing I will give Justin Toffa, I don't know why the UFC did this. His very first UFC fight, he was 3-0 as an MMA fight. He shouldn't have been in the UFC even the beginning of it. He had fought nobody as well, just like Harry Hunziker. He debuted on a main card, UFC 243, Whitaker versus Adesanya. Main card. Loses, first round knockout. His second fight, now that guy's 3-1 and one in MMA. His second career fight is also on a pay-per-view main card, UFC 247. Like This guy got thrown under the bright spotlight, right? He's taken on some decent enough competition. Not good competition, not bad competition. Decent enough guys. He's learning on the spot. He's, he's competed in his last two fights for six rounds. That's that's Harry Hunsucker's last nine fights is two rounds worth of work. Like, it's, there's, there's no comparison here. So, outside of heavyweight puncher's chance, Toffa should absolutely roll Hunsucker. The self-made American prizefighter squaring off in the ring with the former MMA champion for a second time. And DraftKings Sportsbook is giving you a knockout offer for this Jake Paul versus Tyron Woodley rematch. New customers can bet just $1 on Saturday's main event and win $100 in free bets if either boxer lands a punch in eight rounds. Someone's bound to connect. Could be a left hook, an uppercut, a haymaker, even a jab to the body. 
Just bet $1 on the boxer that you think will win the main event, and DraftKings Sportsbook will give you $100 in free bets if either fighter lands a punch. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code DOP to turn $1 into $100 in free bets if either main event boxer lands a punch. That's code DOP when fists fly in the Paul versus Woodley fight live on pay-per-view this Saturday only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, moving on down the curve. We've got Charles Jourdain taking on Andre Ewell. Minus 200 for Jourdain. Plus 170 for Ewell. Um, not going to... I mean, I, I guess... Ewell is coming off of the knockout loss against Julio Arce last time out, but typically he's been relatively durable. The guy holds 75-inch reach, which is a 6-inch reach advantage over Charles Jordan. Jordan, it seems like every single fight that he's in, he gets severely, severely rocked. And Lord knows, like, minus 200 Canadian... The way MMA has been going in this country for a while, my my friend, you're crazy to be to be betting Charles Jordan at minus two hundred. Straight up dog or pass situation for me. Take the reach, um, and I think it's going to be a pretty competitive fight. So you might as well take the plus one seventy. What's your take here? So I told myself after Jordan's last timeout that if he ever was the favorite again, it would be an automatic fade. I thought he looked awful. I think his run in the UFC has been outside of what of a knockout over Duho Choi and the fight he was otherwise losing. Is uh, is been a bad run, man. His technique is just so sloppy. There is some skill there. Air Jordan likes to throw some flashy techniques, but. The substance isn't there. He takes way too much damage in all of his fights. He's in all these barn burners where he's just getting rocked all the time. Uh, Durability's checking out because he's a young kid, but he just puts himself in bad spots. And his technique, again, I mean, it's flashy. He could catch you, but if he does not catch you with that spinning elbow or that, that flying knee, he's not putting money in the bank. He's not putting two, three punch combinations together and outpointing you over a prolonged period. It's just like a flash, a flash. He's willing to throw down. He's super gutsy. He's very entertaining. I hate betting him because I, I bet him a pile of times and it's greasy. Now you talk about his last fight against, sorry, well, let's talk about his last fight. In fact, Julian Arosa. He's a favorite over Arosa. He's got bigger gun power. He's a naturally bigger man. He's a stronger guy. Okay, this is going to be a good fight. Starts off okay, but he's not putting in enough together. Arosa just starts outpointing him, starts landing more volume, starts beating him with a punch, starts hurting him. Jordan drops Arosa, hurts Arosa. Rosa just gets back up and just puts the pedal to the metal again. Tires him out, hurts him, chokes him out in the third round. Unbelievable. The fight prior is this fight with Marcelo Rojo. Rojo! He's a huge favorite over Rojo. And it is a dog fight. Absolute mm-hmm. dog fight. Close till the third round. The third round, Rojo gasses because he's on, on short notice and it's his UFC debut. And uh, and you see the kid take over in that spot, right? One fight prior against Josh Kulabau. A draw, Paul. A draw. Josh Kulabau. 
Looked awful. Kulabau drops him, you know? He scores a knockdown, scores a 10-8 round, and then you see ever so slightly this kid works his way back into it, and they score the fight a draw. Fight before that with Andre Feely, the takedowns let him down. Takedowns always let him down. Arosa, the first round was competitive because Arosa just elected to stand with him. The second and the third round, Arosa was just like, I'm just going to take this guy down. It's easy money. Everybody who's ever tried to take him down has had incredible success with it. TJ Laramie back in the TKO days, five rounds, dominated him, just taking him to the ground. Easy money. So Ewell's wrestling is crap, though. So even though I want to fade a guy that just has a modicum of wrestling, Ewell's not necessarily the guy. Now, here's my other problem is that this is Ewell's featherweight debut. He's fought as exclusively as a 135-pounder, and now he's coming up to 145, taking on a guy in Charles Jordan who actually fought in TKO at 155, won the 155 title, and then also debuted in the UFC against Des Green at 155. And then since then has been fighting at 45. He's a bigger, thicker guy. And so it's not the right guy, I don't think, to fade with. I don't think it's the right guy. Now, we started the show off by saying, I didn't think Pena was the right. I wanted to fade in Nunez. I've always wanted to fade Nunez. But Pena's just not the right opponent. Turns out it was. Like I, I want to fade Charles Jourdain. I don't think Ewell's the guy. Maybe he goes out there and uses every inch of that reach to stay on the outside and box him up. Maybe he does. But seeing him get knocked out by Julio Arce, I got a feeling that if Charles Jordan just goes out there and just throws out his spam Mortal Kombat technique, like something's probably going to clip him at some point and hurt him, right? Being the bigger guy, Jordan's going to have natural advantages. But we used to say pass all the time, right? We'd just be like, I'm just going to pass on this, but I don't want no part of it. I think I'm just going to label this one until we have to hit the PRP at the end of the show. Got to make a pick there. Can hit a pass. I don't want to bet Charles Jordan, especially not at minus 200. But I'm going to end up picking him on the PRP, I'm sure. But I don't want to bet Charles Jordan at minus 200, man. I will leave it at that. I think he's going to win, but I don't want much interest in it at all. Fair enough. All right. We got uh, Macy Chase on stepping up on short notice to take on Raquel Pennington. Pennington was supposed to take on Julia Avila at 135 pounds. Chason, who has fought at 145, coming. Um, obviously, they've made an agreement. They're like, I'm not getting down to 135 for, you know, for this on a week's notice. So, fight is taking place at featherweight, it seems. Minus 185, Rocky Pennington. Plus 155, Macy Chason. Do you have a, do you have a hot take on this one? Yeah, not overly hot. I thought that the 145 pounds was interesting because at first it was like, oh man, is it because of the short, if it's just because of its short notice, Macy Chase on can't make 135, so they're just going to move it up to 145. Okay, I get it. But 145 has got to play out towards Macy Chase on. Yeah. She competed on the Ultimate Fighter at 145 pounds, won the crown at 145 pounds, and has dropped down to 135 since. But she's big, she's strong, and it's a weight class that she's already previously competed in. Meanwhile, for Raquel Pennington, there seems to be a lot of disinterest there. Like she's just kind of seen half mentally checked out since her title fight with Amanda Nunez a few years back. She's 33 years old, but again, I mean, she's just plodding and go through the motions. Uh, let's look back. I say her last three fights, right? Against Holly Holm decision, got out grappled by Holly Holm, bad sign. The fight with Marion Renault, you know, it's a, it's a mid 40 Marion Renault, early forties, maybe Marion Renault. Not a great fight, but that last fight with Penny Kianza in particular, she was just spamming the clinch. It, there mm-hmm. wasn't really much action going on. Her striking's not what it used to be, and she was getting handedly outstruck by Penny Kianza. So she decided to just spam clinch on her, spam clinch on her, spam clinch on her. And the thing with Macy Chase on, meanwhile, 
she's going to be the better striker at distance again. So you're going to have to use the same tactic to spam clinch on her. But her last fight, which happened to be in a mid-40s, Marion Renault, she was striking good inside the clinch, separating, landing short shots, landing short elbows, making her work the entire time, stuffing the takedowns, making her work. She is coming in on short notice, but she was supposed to fight Aspen Lad two months ago. Lad misses weight. The fight gets canceled. They paid her her show money. Certainly they would have told her, stay ready. We'll rebook you in the next couple of months. We'll find something for you. So it's not as if she's just been sitting on the couch, gets a phone call, can't make weight. She's been training. It's just, yes, she's not been getting ready to cut the weight, and therefore it's going to be a lot more difficult. But 145 favors her. She's going to have more success striking inside the clinch, I think, than Penny Kianza. She'll have more success at range. She's the underdog, isn't she? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think this is a dog selection here. I think uh, I think Macy Chason is live in this spot, and she could get the job done. So I'll uh, I'll take Macy Chason. Yeah, I'm with you as well. I think like five-and-a-half-inch reach. Rocky isn't exactly too big for 135 pounds, let alone 145 pounds. Taking it at 145 really, really factors into Macy Chason's game. She doesn't have to cut near, like, I mean, she probably wasn't going to make 135 anyway, is is really how you have to look at it. So they're probably like, do you want to have a fight this weekend? Do you want to get a paycheck this weekend? Or do you want to take this at 145? Because Macy's not making 135. Um, yeah, I think it. Rocky's going to have to really lean on that wrestling, and, and I'm not sure she's going to be able to control the much bigger woman on Saturday night. So I'm with you. It's Dogger Pass for me as well. All right, we got Dante Mays taking on Josh Parisian. Minus 200 for Dante Mays. Plus 170 can be had on Josh Parisian. You got a hot take on this one. But, I mean, straight up just looking at this, <laughs> it's just like I do not want to bet Dante Mays against literally anybody. Even if it was like Harry Huntsucker, I would be like nervous about Dante Mays at minus 200. So, um, I mean, Parisian at least, he, he slows down quite a bit, but like the volume at least is pretty high in a, in a lot of his fights. He's able to throw a bunch of, like they, both of these guys, if they're fighting a high pace fights, are going to be like, by the time we get to like the seven and a half minute mark, they're both going to be gassed to bits. It'll be exhausting. And if this fight goes to decision, it'll be ugly down the stretch don't get me wrong but that kind of leads me more towards like it's a dogger pass situation i think parisian has shown a propensity to throw more volume dante Mays isn't exactly a big time finisher from anything that we've really seen from his ufc run here um plus 170 on josh parisian is it pretty no it's pretty ugly but uh that's that's the side that would take my money if i had to bet it what about you yeah, listen, dude, middling heavyweight fight. Both guys are super low level. Yeah, anything could happen. I think the people that would favor Dante Mays would suggest six foot six, 81 inch reach. And he actually does float to the outside pretty good and uses a pretty uh, smart jab. You know, an educated jab keeps his opponent off of him. But if you can break that jab and get up in the clinch, he's not all that good. If you can take him to the ground, oof, really not all that good. And uh, not that Parisians must have a ground guy himself, but yeah, dude, you just forward pressure the entire time. He just gets absolutely gassed going for it gas but keeps fighting man keeps fighting if this becomes a dog fight Prisian all day if Prisian gets gassed and Maze is not tired he just floats to the outside and uses his jab he's going to eat him up i think it's just yeah you maybe just a spam and dogger pass here because yeah I, 
live betting would probably be the better scenario. Parisian's going to have a good first round. He's going to come at Dante Mays. Dante, sorry, I would probably favor Mays in the first round. Stay to the outside, be the faster guy. Parisian's going to be following him around, getting hit. But if Mays starts to tire a little bit, Parisian probably takes over. Uh, when you look at Mays' couple fights in the UFC, Cyril Gans throw it out. It's gone. You, you're going to be a future world champion. Who cares, right? The Nasimeno fight, he looked okay early, got taken to the ground, submitted, you know, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. It's still low level. But that fight with Roque Martinez is last time out. Yeah, not great, but his cardio looked pretty all right. Stayed at the outside pretty okay. Not bad. Parisian, meanwhile, his fight with Roque Martinez was just an absolute bog, man. My God. Did he win it? Did he not win it? I don't know, man. But it was not pretty. His fight with Parker Porter before that, he lands like 117 significant strikes, but he gets hit 123. Like it's another war. But he's tired. Five minutes in, just so tired. I, I got to go with Mays. Superior cardio. Cardio wins fights. Look at this past weekend. Like everyone that lost, they got tired, right? Amanda Nunez, what was her problem? She quit because she got tired. Dustin Poirier, I don't know if he wants to admit it or not, but like those knees at the body in the first round, they rocked his shit. The second round, he didn't look interested. In the third round, he was tired. Like cardio kills. Derek Minner started off pretty good against Ryan Hall. Was fighting pretty good. Then James Christ was like, "What are you doing, dude? Like, why are you grappling with him? Like, stand up." It's like, no, he's tired. Hate guys that can only fight one round. Hate it. Hate girls that can fight only one round. God damn, Amanda Nunez. In this case, Josh Parisian, he hasn't. Yeah, like he goes to decision, but he's so tired, so fast. So I'm gonna ever so slightly go amazed, but because of the price tag. I pass. Now, a lot of books will only offer you 12 fight parlays. This is a 14 fight card. So the two fights that I would look to pass on in this fight would be Maze versus Parisian. Just don't know. Jordan. I don't really know that I want Jordan. And if it's not one of those two fights, Paul, it could be the next one. Why don't you tee it off for us? I mean, Jordan Levitt minus 120 taking on Matt Sales plus 100. I, I think Sales is the play here, 100%. I don't think it's even questionable. Like, Jordan Levitt has shown that his stand-up game is just so many years behind where it should be. If this fight, if he's not able to secure a takedown, it's bad times for Jordan Levitt. Uh, Claudio Puelas was able to exploit that. I had been watching some of his previous fights on the regional scene going like, if this guy, and I even faded him against Matt Wyman. Wow, that was a, how, weird, how, was a weird finish. A weird I finish. mean, it was a really weird finish. And <laughs> and Matt and Matt Wyman had never been uh, submitted. So that was kind of like the mentality there. But it's like, this guy's the rest of his game. Obviously, he's got a good grappling game. He's got good sub- submissions. But the wrestling doesn't look great. And his stand-up is absolutely abysmal. So uh, the, the only problem, though, on top of that, and maybe that's why you're talking about it, I hear that, like... Matt Sales gets up to like 200 and like 215, 220 pounds when he's not fighting, which I mean, this fight is taking place at uh, lightweight. So that's a lot of, of weight cutting to be had. Um, I'd be very careful of laying any sort of big type of money on Matt Sales until we see what he looks like at the weigh-ins because I, I, I hear rumors about him getting just enormous. Maybe it's like an eating complex or something like that, but he gets enormous in between fights. But I'm not betting Jordan Levitt. I don't think he really belongs. I think he's a one-trick pony. 
and and we're seeing it more and more in MMA these days. Like you can't be a one trick pony and consistently win fights because everybody else has at least rounded out their game to the point that they'll exploit that aspect of you. I haven't seen anything from Jordan Levitt on the feet to lead me to believe that he's going to hang around this sport for a long time. So it's sales for me. What about you? Yeah, I'm kind of torn on this fight personally. Like, it seems like more of a pass, but Matt Sales has been so disappointing to me. I mean, this guy's like Dom Cruz's best friend. I think Dominic Cruz is like the best man at Sales' wedding. Like, he's classically trained at MMA Alliance. He's worked with the best guys in the sport, including Dominic Cruz, Jeremy Stevens, Wilson Hayes. Like, the guy's gotten world-class work in. Debuts in the UFC against Shaman Marias. I like him. While he fought a contender series, got a first-round knockout, great. Dana tells him on the contender series, he fights at 145. Dana tells him, yo, man, you know, you're not all that big of a guy, right? Brings him to the UFC, fights Shaman Marias. He loses. It was disappointing for me. He had a decent fight, but he allowed Shaman to just back him up the entire time and land the better shots. He came alive in the third. He looked good in the third, but he allowed himself to lose the first two. So Matt Sales loses the fight. No big deal. Next fight against Kyle Nelson. I load up the bank on him. There is no possible way that Matt Sales is going to lose to Kyle Nelson. And listen, he does get the win, but my God, in the second round, dude, he gets taken down and just gives up his back. Like, his grappling is poor. He's got poor grappling. He's a good striker. He moves well. Decent footwork. Likes to set up his shots. Good hook. Good hooks, but abysmal. And then in the third round, Kyle Nelson fatigues, and he's able to get the submission victory over him. But he, he didn't look good. So now the next fight with Bryce Mitchell, he got taken down right off the hop. Give no no resistance to the takedown. And as soon as Bryce Mitchell got on top of him, he submits him with a twister. A twister. A very rare move. He only needed one takedown. Once this guy hit the ground, he was a fish out of water because his grappling is just not that good. It's never gotten good. Striking's good, you know, not a grappler. So he's been off of the sport for two years now. This is his first fight in two years. Has he developed his grappling game? Could be, maybe, but I just don't Probably know. Not. It's only 27. He's young, but... Two years off from the sport, he didn't have world-class cardio to begin with. He's a guy that does balloon out of shape in between fights, and he's been off for two years. He now has to come down to 155, which is the highest he's ever fought in the UFC. Because, by the way, his last fight with Bryce Mitchell is at a 145, but he weighed in at 148.5. Misses weight. Now he takes two years off. Now he's coming down to 155. He should win the fight. Way better striking. Like you're saying, way better striking. My issue is that he is a defensive liability on the ground. And Levitt is a one-dimensional guy, but he might just – he could pull guard for all I care. Like, he could just go up, push him up against the cage and take the back. Or I'm creeping. Get one single takedown. Like, I'm creeping sales. If the fight hits the ground, it becomes a problem. I'm it creeping sales' Instagram right now. And as a, as a chubby guy, let me tell you, the thunder thighs he's sporting 19 weeks ago, that doesn't look like a 155-pound fighter. So I don't yeah, know what he's going to show up like. Oh, God. I mean, he's fought at 145, though. It's just like, in theory, he should be able to make this weight class. He's but. had, he, well, he's had. I mean, even, even the video, he has a video 11 weeks ago. He's looking thick. Yeah, he's not. Very he's 9-2. and two. He's had 11 MMA fights, and he's made 145 for nine of them. Missed weight, 148. And then he has fought at 155 one time way back when. But, yeah, I mean, it's, un, no, I wouldn't say uncharted territories oh for him, God. but he's coming up a weight class. He's been off for two years, and he has no grappling. You're taking on a guy that has no striking, says. but has got very good grappling. 
So yeah, he's I, looking I, way too like he's looking very thick for being 155 pounds in these videos, which leads me to believe I would I'm not gonna bet sales until I see him make 155 comfortably. Um, but yeah, no, Levitt Levitt's a straight up fade candidate for me because I think the guy's game is just so one dimensional that it's just not gonna work. You know what? And and if he shoots head forward and lands right into one of them Greek pillars that Matt Sales calls a thigh, then uh, yeah, yeah, maybe maybe he just like bounces his head off it and he's forced to stay. Like maybe his takedown defense is improved because he's got a big fat ace. I don't know. I don't know. But what I can say is Jordan Levitt in the first round against Claudio Puelas did get the fight to the ground and did kick his ass. And then the second and the third, no ability. Like he got ah, he got figured out. He got figured out the longer the fight went. And Claudio Puelas, for the record, terrible. My God, is that guy bad? Just won his last fight, by the way, over Chris Grutzwalker, who I will never bet again, Paul. Lessons that you learn in the MMA game. You can do the tape study. You can say, "Geez, this guy's got a grappling advantage." "Geez, that guy's got a striking advantage." But like, you don't know what version is gonna get in the no. way. Nunez it's, looks good, right? She's a better yeah. she's a better striker than Pena by a country mile, right? She's a she made, she made Pena look grapple. like like Larry Holmes just landing that jab, landing that jab. My God! Yeah. And honestly, honestly, like I didn't even I feel know, like I didn't even feel like it was, it was a bailout moment. I'm gonna do another shoey for the kids because now we're talking about Nunez again. But uh, but the thing about it is like when she got to the court, I thought she looked a little bit tired, but I wasn't. Like I was looking real close, but like should I eject? Should I eject at this point? And like I thought, hey, we're up around. You've went five rounds with with Valentina Shevchenko twice. And I didn't even think she Once. looked all that tired. And she seemed very, very relieved to lose to lose the belt, to be perfectly honest. I mean, it was just weird. It was weird. The only saving grace is that I wasn't on Nunez minus a thousand for you know, for any of it, it was inside the distance. And as I said, at dude, the you didn't of the show, bet three hundred and thirty thousand dollars on the money line, so you're good in that regard. But yeah, at least I'm not that. Yeah, good. no, listen, dude, that was a bad beat. Uh, I I don't bet other sports, but I one time was like, yo, know, guys, guys would hit me up and be like, hey man, appreciate the picks. I'm gonna hit you up this college basketball per lay. And like, it's not uncommon for these minus three thousands to lose all the time, like, all the time, man. Minus a thousand in college basketball don't mean shit. College football is still pretty bad too, man. Yeah, because the um, star player is probably up like banging his like his his dorm mate. The, the not next, only that, the, the, the star the star player is actually in high insight grand scheme terrible. Like I remember, I watched must have been a Green Bay game. It was a Green Bay Packers game. Aaron Rodgers gets hurt, and then they were like bringing this back up, and they're like. He's a state of Wyoming legend. He had like every passing record in like Wyoming history. DePaul, he couldn't complete a pass six yards away. Like it was embarrassing. He never completed. I might've got one pass. Never completed shit. It was terrible. It was the worst guy I've ever seen. And he was a state of Wyoming legend. It's just a different game, right? At the lower level, it's harder to get like a full read. This is world-class level. She should have gone out there. She should have performed to the best of her abilities. We, you just don't know. She looked happy know. to thousands. She looked happy to lose the belt. Yeah, yeah. Some people were yeah. calling it, you know, rigged. I don't think it was that. I mean, there was I part was of me. I, I mean, did I did I type 
Amanda, or did I write Nunez rigged into Twitter and then read a bunch of crazy people's responses to make me feel better about myself on Saturday night? Yes. Yes, I did. Um, But no, most of them, it seems kind of crazy. She punched herself out. As uh, Chael actually has the best video out there about all of it. And like he says, as a person who has quit in an MMA match, um, he's like, it's going to take her a few days to realize that she quit. Um, that she took inventory as he, as he says it in his videos, she goes, I've landed my best punches on her in the last seven and a half minutes. She's not going anywhere. I'm tired. Um, and eventually, yeah, essentially. And, th- and that's why I think I was telling producer Matt before the show too, is that if she, if she extended that another 15 seconds, she lets uh, Pena actually sink that choke in, or she doesn't let her uh, sink that choke in, but she lets her, uh, you know, Pena starts, yeah, I got I to gotta shoot here. Uh, <laughs> Pena starts battering side to side for the finish, and then the ref steps in, calls it quits. Then you couldn't call her a quitter. But the fact of the matter is she got took down as soon as she had her back taken. That sunk that, that, that the choke wasn't sunk in. And all yeah, I was really want, choke. All I really want, Cody, is for people to apologize to my guy, Max Roscoff. Because uh, I haven't heard the end of it. Oh my god, that guy was a quitter. He came he he took that fight on what, like a week and a half notice? Did he quit? Yeah. That's and, and and it happens. It happens in MMA. It happens to Amanda Nunez, who is the greatest female fighter of all time. It, even the greatest people on earth have their low moments, and that was Amanda Nunez's low moment. But the fact that, like, I mean, I, I think I think we're living in a world where it's just like we can't even be honest. It's just like because she is a female, we're not allowed to say that she quit. Amanda Nunez quit in that spot. If there was another 10, 15 seconds, as I was as I was alluding to. 10, 15 seconds where New, or, uh, Pena sinks in that choke closer or is able to land some ground and pound and the ref has to step in, then she wouldn't quit. But the way that it finished, Amanda said, no moss, I'm done. And that doesn't mean that she, like, she's already like a three to one favorite in the next timeout against her. Maybe she wins by knockout next timeout, but she quit. She quit. Yeah, yeah. No, honestly, have to just I, I'm gonna agree realize with you. Man. I'm gonna agree with she you. quit. She quit. Like th- that was not you. a choke. That was not a choke. She quit, and that's fine. We all quit. We all quit on certain things in our life. We don't put our best foot forward in certain situations. But like the fact that it's like so egregious to say something like she quit, it, it just kind of shows you that there's a real double standard here. Because nobody, everybody was all about piling on. Max Roshkoff, when he went into the corner in round two and said, I, I don't got it. I, I can't come back out. Dana White fired his ass for taking a fight on short notice and not being willing to come out in round three. He wasn't going to win in round three. So it's, it's just kind of, I don't know. The world's gone nuts. Either way, I've got a shoey here. I'm going to finish it. Yeah, but what it comes down to is whether you're able to stand up for yourself or not. Because to bring things full circle, once upon a time, Manny Nunez, who we're currently talking about, Raquel Pennington, who we just talked about on this card, and uh, she pulled a Max Roshkoff, fourth round of a five-round title fight. She looks at her corner and she says, I don't want to fight anymore. I'm done. I'm done. 
I don't want to fight anymore. And they're like, nope, nope. You got to go back out there. You got to go back out there. You got to go back at Rocky. Stop talking like that. You got to go back out there. They sat Raquel Pennington back out for the fifth round and she got finished in the fifth round. So what, what good came from that? She told you she was done. Yep. She was acknowledging I'm done. She's waving the flag. Does that mean you're a quitter? No. Uh, you're, it means that no, you quit that the situation, but it's human. It's human. Yes, I quit the situation, right? It doesn't mean I'm not going to come back the next time. It doesn't mean I'm not going to go back to the drawing board. It means I realize if I go back out there, all I'm going to take is more career damage. Max Roshkov's barely taken any punches to the head in his career. If he goes back out for another round with Austin Hubbard, he's going to get his ass kicked mm -hmm. for as long as until the ref steps in and takes it. Why bother to prove you got heart? You're not a quitter because you quit on your stool. You're not a quitter because you don't want to be there anymore. But you ain't fucking Darren Elkins, pal, right? Because no, that Darren. guy is willing Never going to, to quit. die. To die. And that's Some why I want... built different. That's why Some I like... Some built different. I, I circled Swanson by decision, but I can't do it, man. I can't do it. I, I'm gonna have. <laughs> I'm gonna Swanson. actually have to watch the... I'm gonna watch the fight, and I'm gonna try to bet it live, because... I know that Swanson doesn't have cardio issues, but Darren is just, he's a guy that has made me a bunch of money over the years. He's always in this situation as an underdog, and uh, sometimes you just want to bet on heart. Maybe after Nunez, after what happened with Nunez, I just want someone like Darren to lift me back up. Maybe that's the case. I mean, there's no way for me to make the money back that I lost on the uh, laser-guided heat-seeking missile. It's not going to happen on this card. It's more like I'm going to pick a few spots. I'll post them on Twitter, at Paul Shag, and it, it, they're, they're going to be small plays. I'm not going to get too aggressive. I'm going to regroup over the, uh, the month-long holiday that we have and, uh, and get back to, uh, to the good times. But, but, yeah, I mean, Darren Elkins is a guy that I really, really deep down inside actually want to bet. And then what was the fun of – oh, yeah, me and you are going to have a little holiday cheer, a little holiday Christmas time uh, show that is going to come out where we're going to do – basically, it's going to be like an award show. Me and Cody are going to yell at each other. Maybe some shoeys will be had. I don't know. Oh, yeah. I think it'll be a good time. Um, I still have to uh, firm up the actual – uh, topics that we're going to go through, but me and Cody will just, we're just going to go old school riffraff with each other. I actually looked at it and we were, we were, we were arguing about who was the breakout fighter of 2021. And I was, oh, yeah. off the top of my head, I was thinking, I was thinking Chamayev, but Chamayev's only fought once in 2021. So it's actually hard for me. No, I was hoping to throw that in your face on no, the show. No, I looked it, I looked it up and it's, it's just too hard to make that argument. So I can't actually do that. But uh, it may be your boy, Chris Curtis. I don't know. Wow. I don't know. But wow. it's obviously, I, I can't, I, I can't argue. make. I wanted to argue you. I mean, maybe I still will make the argument because one of the guys is in title aspirations. The other one has just put money in our pockets. Either way, we are just out of, about out of time here. But before we go, hit him with the PRP. So, Paul, you had a little sad rant there where you were like, oh, I'm never going to make the money back. And, you know, it really got to me. It's the Christmas holiday season. The last card of 2020 
We hit a PRP. I did, and I went 11 of 12. But P- Rob, Rob hit it and bought his dad a car. The right? dad car. And so the Carlay, the Carlay, the great American Canadian, Pogi Rob Carlay. And uh, you make your dreams happen. So that's the thing with the parlays. Sometimes they just don't go your way. Sometimes a little bit of money goes a long way. I'm committed to hitting three lines this week. Three lines we're looking to hit. But officially, we are going to go with, starting from the top, I guess, uh, Chris Dokus, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, Angela Hill, dog number one, Ricky Simone, Matus Gamrot, Cub Swanson, Gerald Mearshart, Ronnie Barcellos, Justin Taffa, we never talked about Sanjara Eubanks and Melissa Gatto. Oh, did we? Did I blow that? I've been drinking. I think you may have. Should yeah, we no, talk about fine. that no, right now? It's the holiday season. Yeah, let's talk about that right now. We should talk about that right Eubanks. now. I will take Eubanks. I will take Eubanks. And I'm going to take, uh, oh my God, Charles Roday, Macy Chason, <laughs> Dante Mays for now. Check it out on Twitter. That one might change. And I think I'm going to go with Levitt for now, too. That one could change. Want to see the weigh-ins, of course. That's when we're going to get the last key piece of information, uh, especially on Eubanks, which we'll talk about right now. Uh, weigh-ins are important, people, but until then, yeah. So uh, officially, I don't even know how many dogs we got. We got Macy Chase on. She was the dog, wasn't she? Uh, one, two, three, three underdogs. No, you That's took probably Chase on? Like enough. Yeah, I'm taking Chase on. Do you take I'm Jordan Levitt? On. Going to take Jordan Lovett for now. Oh you know God. what my thinking on the Jordan Lovett fight is? Is Andre Muniz, this is poor man's version, Andre Muniz, Eric Anders. Eric Anders is not a bad grappler. never been submitted before. It's not like grappling is a problem. The problem is, is that the other guy is a far superior grappler. Mm-hmm. So even though the he's not some great wrestler, Muniz is not some great wrestler, and Anders' takedown defense is not bad, it's just these fights hit the ground, you know? Your two guys rolling around, like eventually it hits the ground. And I just got a feeling that his ground game is going to be far superior to Matt Sales, who's been off for two years and has to cut 50 pounds, hasn't cut weight for two years. And he's 27. His body's naturally getting bigger. His grappling wasn't very good to begin with. And his camp's kind of a striking camp. Like, I don't know. I mean, they're well-rounded. Don't get me wrong, but I don't, I don't know. I don't know. That's a pass. If, you're, if, you, if your book doesn't take more than 12 fights, you need to pass on two of them. I would say that one and Mays bite the bullet on Jordan, I guess. The last four fights are the greasy. Only, the like only Chase fight on, I'm going to... Like Chase on, the other one's greasy. The greasy. only fight I'm going to take a shot on when we got off of the program here is I'm going to take Hill by decision plus 500 because I feel like if she wins, that's how it's going to be. She probably loses round one, so it's definitely a fight you want to pay attention to in the live markets, but I'm just not sold on... I mean, the only time we've really seen Lamas really extended in a high pace, high, high profile fight, she ended up faltering. Now it was at 135 pounds, but I feel like Hill is getting disrespected. Um, Plus 500 Hill by decision is a spot I want to be taking. But yeah, tell me about uh, Eubanks versus Gato because I obviously completely skipped it. Yeah, I feel like uh, Eubanks is the rightful favorite. She's got the BJJ acumen. She's big, she's strong, she's physical. And she actually looked pretty good her last time out. Went out there, got a big dub uh, over Elise Reed. But again, limited level competition. But when the fight hit the ground, you seem pretty advanced. Her wrestling's not bad for this weight class and this division in particular. Not necessarily this weight class, but this particular division. Wrestling's pretty solid. Grappling's pretty solid. She just needs to end up on top position. Gato, meanwhile, 
her striking is not great, but she doesn't strike particularly good off the back foot. So that's one thing that I think will probably go towards Eubanks is that she's generally marching forward. She's generally trying to be the aggressor. So that'll go towards her. And then if she does complete the takedown, then that's when she does her best work. Money in the bank, BJJ Black Belt, Lloyd Irvin, BJJ Black Belt, go to work on top. The one thing that would worry me is, again, women's MMA. We talked about this earlier, just kind of the unexpected. And I don't love betting on fighters with bad cardio who have bad weight cuts. Eubanks doesn't cut particularly weight particularly well. She's not young by any means. And she's got lackluster cardio. Gato, meanwhile, is a little bit more wily. I mean, she, you saw in the, her last fight, she lands like 70 significant strikes against Victoria Leonardo before getting a second-round finish. She was all over her and just kept coming, kept coming, kept coming. Eubanks needs to neutralize her, can and needs to, because otherwise down the stretch, it could be Gato alive. So the exposure that you want on this, not tons, not tons, but check it out from a live betting opportunity as well. If Gato doesn't get beat up bad in the first, doesn't get submitted in the first, it can at least pressure not pressure her but just make her work make her work tie her out a little bit and eubanks doesn't go out there in that second and third round and complete those takedowns forward pressure won't be enough gato should be able to uh maybe land stuff from the outside but i think i would lean towards eubanks it's not something i'm gonna put finalized in bam bam but yeah as far as the show picks right now i would go eubanks want to see the weigh-ins though and 100 percent. that's what i was gonna say is that eubanks 125 pounds you definitely have to focus on the weigh-ins because she has shown time and time again that weigh-ins can get real dicey and when they do she has bad performances so definitely definitely pay attention to that all right that is it for us yeah 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 okay yep 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 what were you gonna say i was gonna say i'm gonna say it's a 14 fight card so just to make things you know like small like cold what was it cole's notes spark notes whatever you want to call it sure what what i do like Chris Dokas, Stephen Thompson, Ricky Simone, Jeremy Shart, Roni Barcellos, Justin Toffa, best underdog, Macy Chason. The Macy rest Chason, of it. Chason, best underdog. The hell knows. Yeah, and you might go Elkins, best underdog, but looking at the slate, do you see an underdog Hill you like be better? Best underdog. Ferreira could be live. Could be live. Hill could just get. I'm going Gamera. Could just get dominant. I think Lamas is really good. I think the numbers just wide. Uh, yeah, fair. Like it would it make more sense number. if it was like minus two hundred plus one seventy. Like that's that's kind of what I was expecting. Well, that's why I didn't put Lamosh on this little confident thing I just mentioned because even though she's a big favorite, just the confidence not quite there. And then mm-hmm. flip side to that, I like Gamrod. I just I see too much live potential from Diego Ferreira that I I wouldn't put Gamrod. He might be like the sixth or seventh most confident play. Should get the job done. But just like any other sport should and do, just way different things. Yeah. This team should win. They got better offense. They got better defense. They yeah. got better special teams. They got a better kicker. They got a better quarterback. I mean, and it's like they just they just don't show up. It's like it is what it is. We're the coming, wind is two miles an hour of, faster to the right and it just throws them off. I, I don't know what happens. We're coming off of Juliana Pena make, looking like Larry <laughs> Holmes right. just landing jabs at will against what was labeled as the female goat. I'm gonna um, put you on the spot. I've got right beer now. all over my my shirt because biggest of 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 that exact situation. Like here here we are. Biggest upset of all time MMA in UFC. Don't I think I still it. think it's um, I still think it's GSP versus Sarah. I know by the That's numbers. So I. I know by the numbers it was Rousey versus Home, but Holm. I mean hindsight is always twenty twenty. And a lot, obviously, a lot of people thought that Ronda Rousey was going to get the job done and she was going to do exactly what she did to every single person, that she was going to be able to flip him over her hip, grab the arm bar, 
and then she would be but like Holly Holm went on to like Holly Holm already had massive credentials going into that fight and and proved afterwards that she is an elite competitor obviously um I think GSP versus Sarah because GSP is one of the goats of all time and Sarah was you know he won the ultimate fighter he he was never championship caliber he just caught him on that night and I kind of feel similarly of Nunez versus Pena is is on that level with but just a little bit below because like GSP Sarah one guy had an illustrious career and when he came back and and beat um and beat uh, Michael Bisping. It's just like he—he's obviously one of the greatest fighters we've ever seen. I think I got, I'm not throwing like, and I've said mean things about Nunez, and I think Nunez is still recognized and should be recognized as the greatest female fighter that we've seen in the UFC. But I just find it hard. Yeah, I just find it hard going on on Twitter and and seeing the things that people say. It's just like, guys, it's okay. It's human. It's human. We're in tough times and, and you quit and that's fine. It is what it is, but it's just like the way that people, I don't know. It's just, it, I, I find it just really annoying watching people try to recreate history and not, not say what actually happened. That choke wasn't sunk in 99.9% of fighters would not tap to that. 10 seconds down the line, could that, that choke have been sunk in and then it would be a time that would be uh, uh, the right time to quit? Or not not quit, but to tap? Just like, I'm submitted, I'm, I'm losing my breath? Yes, but like, as soon as she got on her back, it was an insta-tap. Like, I don't, I don't care what anybody says. Nunez quit in that, in that situation. 10 seconds later, it wouldn't have been a quitting situation. Probably not. But she didn't even let herself get to that moment, which I, 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 I see her as like minus 330 as a favorite in the rematch. And frankly, I learned my lesson. I know it's a much better number than that was offered before. And she could knock out Pena in the first round. Maybe she takes it really, really seriously. Or maybe she just lands the right strike. But she quit. And I'm not going to bet on her as a favorite in that type of situation ever again. I can't. You want, you, hey, you want, to, you want to know a good one? So uh, did you watch that Charles Oliveira feature? But he does that horse race? Yeah, Charles Oliveira was a guy that people used to call a quitter. My well, a quitter, God, you I mean, can't call that. And we talked about that last be, week. Be, that like, yeah, yeah. Thank God we were on it for once. Mindset <laughs> has changed. Well, after the Chandler fight, it's just like he went, he, he had so many opportunities to quit. And he did not. And we saw it again against Dustin Poirier. Poirier rocked him. He had him, you know, in bad situation. And when Charles gets rocked, he kind of just goes to the ground. and He's kind of fishing around like this. And that guy has no quitting him. Good for him. It's, 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 it's a great story. And, uh, and he seems like an absolutely great guy that, you know, he's, he grew up in a tough part of, of Brazil and life hasn't always been so easy for him. And my God, what a, talk about a redemption tour. He's always been super talented. Everyone always saw that he was super talented. But like the Max Holloway fight, 
you know, people started to question his heart. You cannot question Charles Oliveira's heart whatsoever anymore. That guy is a stud. No, no, exactly. And the flip side to that, Dustin Poirier's got heart for days, but did it not seem like he kind of quit a little bit? Did it not seem like after the first round he got tired? And then in the second round, he refused to do anything. He just lied on his back and closed guard. And then in the third round, he gave up the takedown and just, here's my back, here's the choke, time to get out of here. But he's a warrior. He's a warrior. It just, yeah, it's human nature, man. It happens to people for sure. But where I was going at it was that feature, Charles Alvarez driving the horse. He beats that guy at Yonkers in New York is Tim Tietrich. So that Tim Tietrich guy called me before the fight. He's like, I'm flying down to Las Vegas. I'm coming to see Charles. I want to bet on the fights. Got some buddies with me. Uh, I'm only going to go for the last couple fights of the night. What, what do I want to bet? What do I want to bet? I says, you want to bet the co-main event, the women's fight to go over one and a half rounds, and you want Charles Oliveira, or if you want to, you guys want to have some fun, Charles Oliveira by submission. He says, I got a friend who tells me to bet Juliana Pena. Knows her personally and says that she told him, and I quote, I'm fucking crazy. I'll go five rounds. No, I won't quit. I'll go five rounds. I says, what? He says, yeah, that's what she said. I'm fucking crazy. I can go five rounds. So I'm like, oh, man. Well, I like the over one and a half. Well, maybe, I don't know, if you want, you can bet the fight to go over two and a half, three and a half. Like, if you think she can go five rounds, maybe she's indicating she's going to take a beating for, for 25 minutes. He's like, well, I was thinking a little better straight out. I was like, Tim, don't do it. I'm the idiot, right? Because she was right. There she was, went in with the mentality. There. there were some smart she went people in with out the mentality. Yeah, for sure. Smarter for sure. Uh, Clint, Clint hit it live after the first round, right? He, at like he 11 told, to he told 1. people to do it, and that was pretty smart. Um, That's I, huge. That I, Magic Mike I, guy, I even, he, he hit it pre-bet. Like, yeah, it wasn't like it was the most... Robin Black was the only guy I know that had uh, Holly Holm over Ron On Twitter, he hit it like only plus 650 pre-fight. I, I saw it around here. People had bet it. It's not like the People most ludicrous thing. No. Like I said, I think we want to fade Amanda Nunez, but we want to get Valentina Shevchenko in there. We want to get a world-class operator. We want to get someone that was going to be able to do something different. I just didn't think pain I didn't was that see person. It. Obviously, I got railroaded. And that's why I'm, I'm drunk at the end of this episode in a room just filled with, or it just reeks of beer in here because of me. Like here, here <laughs> well, I am, here I am crawling, gone. crawling to the finish line of 2021 because Amanda Nunez just did not show up the way I thought she would. But yeah, at least I you wasn't know, on the money line because she was not winning that fight by decision. So it is what it is. Minus 300. You know what? Seems the, Chris, less the Christmas stupid. gods, the Christmas gods are going to give us one more nice way to exit 2022. And the only thing Let's that could it. be possibly better is if for whatever reason, please, God, if Mearshart or Dustin Stolfus is to fall off and Action Man is to come back in, oh, and we can get one more baby. Action Man pick in, that's the only thing better. Of course, he's ready because he's over. probably 185 yeah, pounds right now. Uh, he'd be a three to one favorite over both of them, so uh, it's not going to do us no good. All we no. got to do is pull up he our could big be boy your top ticket, and, though. And, uh, he could be your top he'd ticket. Be- you KO both these guys. Um, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, fair enough. Let's do one more good one. We do have that special holiday episode coming. That one will be really fun because it's not going to be on TV. So there'll be a lot more cussing and a lot more beer guzzling. But hopefully good times because we made a bunch of money to end the year off because sad times beer drinking, not as good, not as good. Anyways, that's all for me, my friend. Oh, yeah, no, I, I just drank. I drank to cope today. I drank to cope. <laughs> it got me through this episode. Here I am. And uh, you know what? It worked out pretty well. 
I've got a smile on my face. I didn't have a smile on the on my face to start this episode, but I do now. But that is it for us this week. Hope you enjoyed the show. For Cody Saptic, I'm Paul Shaughnessy saying goodbye and good luck. Oh, oh, oh. Oh.